Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. How are you doing? I'm good. It was like slightly a rough day. Just yeah, because my two-year-old today. was very two-year-old. <laughs> With the, the tantrums and the oh, screaming. Didn't he fall? Yeah, it was a little frustrating because I made him a puddle on the deck and then he slipped and fell oh. in the puddle, which was like, oh. So he was wet and hurt? Yep. <laughs> I'm That's like, sad. that was a dumb idea, I guess. <laughs> but it's okay. My 11-year-old was also very, very preteen emotions. <laughs> but that's all right, too. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that you're here now. We're enjoying a little bit of crackers and yeah. salami and cheese. You know, it's good. And strawberry sparkling water. And wine. Yeah. <laughs> Not just sipping on water. I'm going to get to that later when we record our patreon episode oh, because got it my oh my do we have a story mm-hmm. about an interesting facebook marketplace exchange we had while selling my old car that's all you can say yeah it's it's an intense story <laughs> but before we get into the story did you have something to say no i was okay. just laughing we got a just take a minute to say we've been absolutely blown away with the generosity and support that we've gotten over on Patreon recently. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe it that we have this many new patrons to thank mm-hmm. this week. So, thank you to Pammy B. Is that like Pammy Beasley? Hey, that's what I thought. And don't call me Pammy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought um, that too. Leona, thank you. Julie, thank you. Anne. Thank you so much. And Alice Lynn, thank you. Yes. Not to be confused with the other Alice, who it's also a patron, but this is a new Alice Lynn. We are like extremely flabbergasted thankful. I think that's the right word. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, thank you guys so much. Like, we can't believe the support. You are all so awesome. Speaking of Patreon, Rosie wrote our last premium episode over there. Do you want to give a hint about what it is? Because I don't think we did last week. I think we did a little bit, but we're talking about the North Sentinel Island. It is a island completely untouched by modern civilization. And we're also talking about John Chow, who went there, and the name of the Lord. <laughs> and <laughs> things did not really go as planned for him, mm-hmm. and that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, Rosie did a really good job outlining the history of the island and then this experience with John Chow. Yes, pretty intense i have to so, say i would call it riveting yeah myself another good use of word <laughs> Thank you. all right i think that's all we have to talk about that video tour is still coming of our home slash studio our new space it's not really our fault it's um, amazon's fault 
For not pulling through fast well, enough. I think there's a lot more wrapped into it than that. You know, there's a lot going on. So we totally understand why everything is running late. Um, <laughs> so anyway. Always covering my tracks. <laughs> hey, we are a team. Mm-hmm. So do you want to read a five-star review yes. before we get into our story? It's entitled, I Can't Get Enough. It says, I'm a fan of true crime. Ryan and Rosie are the most respectful and intuitive podcasters. They consider the emotions of the victims they are talking about, and they're even respectful to the listeners by providing trigger warnings before and throughout their episodes. So you'll always know when to skip a few seconds if you need to. They are the most sensitive and conscientious team talking about true crime cases. Good job. To Ryan and Rosie, keep up the good work. This world needs more people like the two of you. That's so sweet. Thank you, Jennifer Tilly fan from the U.S. of A. That's so sweet. You know, we try to um, be respectful, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that comes across. So, thank you again, Jennifer Tilly fan. If you enjoy listening to our show and you haven't yet, think about leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. Um, we'll probably read it on a future episode if you do. So, mm-hmm. there's that. I think it's about time we get into this story. I do, too. That was a pretty long intro, but this story is a little shorter because there's not as much open to the public about it. The details, like I couldn't find court transcripts or police reports or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I was working through a variety of different articles about it and also the website of one of the people involved. So we'll get to that later. But the story we're talking about was a suggestion from a listener named Katerin, I believe, Do you think that's how that's pronounced? I do. Katerin? So So thank you for that. Tonight, we're sharing the story of Brian Badger Jackson. First, let's set the stage and talk about his parents. His mother, Jennifer Jackson, and his father, Brian Stewart, first met at a military training facility. She already had a two-year-old daughter around this time. Jennifer and Brian enjoyed each other's company and eventually started a relationship. At some point in the summer of 1990, Jennifer became pregnant. And she was really excited about this. And when she told her boyfriend, Brian, he was also excited. So at this time, they had the start of a seemingly happy family. But then Brian got some unexpected news. Yeah. Brian was required to report for duty and was sent away for Operation Desert Storm, or the Gulf War. And I wasn't able to find any specific dates of his deployment, but the Gulf War lasted from August of 1990 to February of 91, so somewhere in there mm-hmm. is when he was gone. But when he returned from service, something was a little different about him. Despite being supportive and even happy to be starting a family before deployment, when he got home, Jennifer said he was like a different person. And to avoid confusion... We're going to call um, baby Brian by his nickname Badger, and his father is Brian, because they have the same name. Mm-hmm. Baby Badger was born in March of 1991. <gasps> That's the same month that our friend Jake was born, two You're months before right. me. Suddenly, Brian was demanding to see DNA test results to verify that Badger was really his child. Okay, so that's kind of a big change yeah like at first he was excited that she was pregnant and now he's like is he even mine can i say that if that happened to me i would take it as such an insult 
Well, I think most people would. And Jennifer, obviously, was understandably frustrated with this sudden change in Brian's demeanor. And most of the sources I read, it said that Brian had even become abusive toward her, which led to them splitting up shortly after the baby was born. After the split, Brian didn't have much to do with his son anymore. He was MIA as a father, and he started working as a phlebotomist after being discharged from the military. So according to Google, because I was really curious about this, no medical schooling is actually required to be hired as a phlebotomist by most hospitals. Um, of course, other people within the medical field, like nurses and doctors, are trained in phlebotomy, which is blood drawing for testing. But I think Brian was just a strict phlebotomist, may have gone to some classes for it. But the bottom line is that he wasn't actually a doctor. You're he was a lab tech. telling me that you don't need to go to schooling to shove a needle into someone's arm? Well, you, I said medical school, you oh. know, like for your college. Okay. I think it's more like a tech training. Okay. You know, like eight weeks or whatever. That just... Because I, I don't actually know. I'm just saying... The main point I was trying to make is he's not a okay. doctor. He's a phlebotomist. In February of 1992, when Baby Badger was only 11 months old, he suffered from a terrible asthma attack, and he actually had to be hospitalized. Despite the terrible way Brian had treated her, Jennifer felt she should let him know what was going on with their son. And I would think maybe she was hoping the situation would soften Brian a bit and maybe be a wake-up call that he should be more responsible and help care for Badger, you know, something like that. Because mm -hmm. this is a huge, I mean, this is still a baby, 11 months old, when they have a huge asthma attack and is hospitalized for it. It's a big That's, deal. Yeah. You'd think his fatherly instincts would kick in. And surprisingly, Brian actually visited Badger in the hospital, despite being so aloof about having a child. When he got there, he offered to watch Brian if Jennifer wanted to run to the cafeteria and grab a beverage, and she took him up on that. She was gone for about 20 minutes, but when she returned, the door to the room was closed and Badger was screaming and crying. Brian was holding him, trying to get him to calm down, but after that, they found that the baby's vital signs were way out of whack. So... The doctors are starting to realize here this may be something a lot more serious than just asthma. So they began running tests on Badger, but weren't sure exactly what was wrong with him for a long time. Despite his health problems, the doctors, who were very familiar with Badger, knew him as a very cheerful and energetic kid. Yeah, he was actually several years suffering from some kind of disease and the doctors had no idea what it was hmm. his mom was bringing him from professional to professional trying to get some answers mm -hmm. and no one could figure it out by 1996 when he was five years old the complications from his health issues were causing him to lose a lot of weight and he was running fevers often his symptoms were puzzling to the doctors so it had been about four years since he first started showing those symptoms. And it was clear something was wrong with him that he needed treatment for. And like I said, Jennifer was desperate hmm. to find answers to what was wrong with her son. And she took him to several doctors, begging them for answers, but 
none of them were running the right tests. So it took them that long to make an actual diagnosis. He was five years old. And what they figured out was shocking for Jennifer and Badger and just awful. On May 17, 1996, Badger had been admitted to the Children's Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri, because his symptoms were so awful. Over a week later, on May 25th, he was diagnosed with AIDS when he was just five years old. Can you imagine that? That's, like, I mean, it's AIDS? crazy. At just five years old. Um, like, how? Yeah, that's the question. I read the the way they actually ran this test and thought of it was one of the pedi- pediatricians treating Badger had a nightmare and woke up from it. I'm guessing it was maybe about his illness and symptoms or something like that. But after they had run every logical test they could think of, um, this pediatrician woke up from a nightmare with an epiphany to test for HIV. Wow. I guess she was running over his symptoms in her head and was like, this makes sense, even though, you know, why would a five-year-old have AIDS? That's honestly, like, out of this world. I know. So, on the other hand, it makes sense that they didn't test him for the sooner. Oh, yeah, he's just a little baby. But at least they finally figured it out. Badger was not only diagnosed with AIDS, but also three opportunistic infections because of the toll his illness was taking on his immune system. The doctors told Jennifer that her son had five months to live, sending him home with many prescriptions to help him live as normal of a life as possible until he eventually would succumb to his disease. So this is obviously blindsiding to Jennifer and his and. Uh, Badger's family. He had an older sister at the time, two years older. And I just can't imagine getting that news and all the implications of, like, she's been trying so long to get these answers. All of a sudden, they're telling her that he only has five months to live. And honestly, when we were first recording this, I was thinking of Gypsy Rose. Oh. Way back when, of like, is the mom having something to do with it? Because she like keeps going back and they can't find it. Well, it's interesting you say that. But the huge question remains, how would a five-year-old get AIDS? Unless his mother or father was carrying it. But as far as Jennifer knew, she didn't have AIDS. Mm-hmm. You know, and she didn't think, I mean, if Brian had AIDS, she would probably have it by now. So this was a huge shock. Like doesn't make any sense. And the question of how Badger got AIDS continued to eat away at Jennifer. It just didn't make any sense. But over the next couple years, she started to recall the way Brian had treated her after Badger was born. After he left her, she obviously brought up to him about paying child support. But Brian's response to her was awful. He would casually say, the child won't live that long anyway. So who says that? That is cruel. That is so messed up. And this he was saying these things before Brian had that asthma attack, before he got AIDS. So why would he say this? That, oh my gosh. Once this is when Jennifer started to suspect that Brian might have had something to do with this. Mm-hmm. Once Jennifer realized this, 
memories of clues started to flood back to her. She remembered the day she brought Badger into the hospital for asthma, and Brian came to visit. It was uncharacteristically supportive of Brian at the time, because remember, he was like, all of a sudden, no interest in this child. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, he's coming to visit her at the hospital. So that in itself was odd. But she also remembered him carrying a white lab coat into the hospital room with him. At the time, she just figured that Brian had just gotten off of work. But she was facing a really strange situation with her son. So she had to look at really strange possibilities of what had happened. Exactly. Again, how could a five-year-old have AIDS if his parents weren't carrying it? So, she's suspicious of Brian. But there are three factors here that need to be examined. There's motive, means, and evidence. Like, mm-hmm. all three of these need to line up. So... What does Jennifer do next? Well, Jennifer knew that from the moment Badger was born, Brian didn't want him. He demanded DNA tests. It led to the destruction of their relationship. And then Brian resisted the payment of child support. So it's safe to say that Brian detested the idea of having a baby after he'd returned from active duty. So there's a clear motive here with that between not wanting the responsibility of parenting and not wanting to pay. Um, Brian never did act like a father to Badger, and he made it clear on the outside that he hated him. So if he's showing that much spite on the outside and actually saying this to people, what's he feeling toward Badger on the inside? Like, Mm -hmm. it's probably even worse. But what means did he have to pull this off? Again, Jennifer recalled when she had visited Brian's home, after he'd gotten his lab tech job. He had taken home syringes from work, and even what appeared to be samples of blood. So once she realized this, she decided she needed to call the police and start an investigation because, you know, there's just so many red flags about Brian, Mm -hmm. and she's out of options. Like, she needs to figure out some way... Like, how did this happen? You know, it's kind of like finding closure, figuring out how her son got AIDS. So she reported um, this to police when she called them, that she had seen syringes at Brian's home before. And then they started an investigation and talked to Brian's co-workers at the blood lab. And they found, when they talked to them, that it wasn't just Jennifer who had heard Brian making threats to harm people. Right. His co-workers told investigators that when Brian was angry with someone, he would talk about using contaminated blood to harm the people he was mad at. So essentially, he would joke about taking blood from a person who was sick with a bloodborne disease and injecting it into someone else to infect them, which sounds like that pure evil to me. so messed up. So, are you starting to connect the dots? Mm-hmm. Based on all these factors, investigators felt they had a pretty clear case against Brian for causing his son to contract AIDS. He had a clear motive, not wanting to pay child support. Jennifer remembers him either carrying or wearing his lab coat when he visited his son in February of 1992. When she came back, the boy was screaming and crying, and that's when his vital signs went crazy. 
and symptoms of something far more serious than asthma started to develop in Badger. So, we know that he had the means to do this, because he worked at the blood lab, and it was obviously something on his mind, because he had joked about it to his co-workers, using this as a form of causing harm to other people. Right. So, it's all starting to make sense. Mm Mm-hmm. On Tuesday evening, April 22, 1998, police showed up to Brian Stewart's work at St. Louis University Medical Center and put him under arrest. On December 6, 1998, he was found guilty by a jury of first-degree assault. So, you might wonder why he wasn't charged with attempted murder. Right. Because that was his goal here. But apparently, in the state of Missouri, the sentence carried for first-degree assault is longer than attempted murder, which seems a bit odd to me. doesn't seem right, honestly. But that's just how it worked out in Missouri. Hmm. I guess first-degree assault, I mean, first-degree charge of anything is pretty serious. Mm -hmm. And attempted murder means that they weren't successful. So I guess... I can kind of see why, but it's still really weird. Um, But if it's not clear by now, Brian walked into the room where his son was when he was 11 months old with a syringe. Oh, my gosh. While his mother was out of the room and injected his son with blood that was contaminated with AIDS. That is, I mean, obviously I already knew that from all the... The clues, but just hearing you say it flat out is just so disgusting. Yeah, that's why I just felt it was important to put it... Word for know. word. Yeah. On January 9th of 1999, Brian Stewart was sentenced to life in prison by Judge Ellsworth Condiff. And the judge was so disgusted with Brian's actions. Um, do you want to talk about what the judge said? Sure. He told Brian, quote, I can't imagine anything worse. You've reached new heights. You're in a class by yourself. Injecting a child with the HIV virus really puts you in the same category as the worst war criminal. And when God finally calls you, you are going to burn in hell from here to eternity. Condiff told Brian that the child was going to die because of what he did. And when he said this, Jennifer began sobbing. So the reality of the consequences of all this hit Jennifer really hard at that moment. And after, I mean, she's been trying Badger's entire life to figure out what was wrong with him and save him from it. And then to get such a terrible prognosis that he's only going to live for five months. It's almost... I don't want you to quote me on it, but it's almost worse than murder because now you have to watch your child suffer until he dies. Yeah. And I mean, it's something that you have to wait for. It's a terrible disease. It's so expected and drawn out and miserable. Yeah. But um, this judge was personally invested in getting as much justice as he could for a little badger who was actually almost eight at the time. So he had exceeded the expectations of the doctors. 
because mm-hmm. he was only five when he got the five-month diag- uh, prognosis, and now he's eight. But, of course, the judge did use his uh, full extent of the law. You know, he did as much as he could because this man worked as a blood tech. He literally stolen blood from a laboratory he worked for. And this is a person who treated patients every day. He should have been a responsible and trustworthy person if he's working with people's blood. Mm-hmm. And he was also a war veteran. So it's someone you think you should be able to respect and trust. And then you come to find out that the reason Baby Badger had such a violent instant reaction to be injected with his blood, with this other blood, it wasn't because it was carrying AIDS, but another reason. It was a completely different blood type to Badger's. Oh. So, I mean, this guy really was trying to kill Badger, like, instantly. Wow. By mixing AIDS-infected blood of the wrong type. Mm. Uh, it's a miracle that Baby Badger survived this because being injected with the wrong blood type can very easily be fatal. Mm. Apparently, it happens roughly four times out of a million with actual planned blood transfusions. So it's not something doctors really have much experience treating. And especially if Brian injected him with it secretly, they didn't have a clue what was wrong with him when Jennifer came back to the room to find him screaming. Oh, so the whole thing just makes me like kind of gag and shiver. I know. <laughs> just, oh, it's disgusting and evil. And it feels wrong to call Badger fortunate because he's been living with AIDS his whole life for such a terrible reason. Um, but he is still alive today. Wow. Um, I mean, he's two months older than me, so he's 29 years old. I can't believe he's alive. I know. That That's is tw- crazy. 24 years past his original date that the doctor said he wouldn't live to. Wow. But again, can you imagine suffering with such a horrible disease your whole life? And knowing in the back of the mind that you have it because your father hated you. Mm. I mean, the person who's supposed to love you and protect you and take care of you actually did this to you on purpose. I I wish I could give him a hug because it's such... It's something that if you sit and dwell on it for too long can really eat away at you. You know, I can see that happening. And... During the trial, Badger was only seven years old. He shared his feelings about it with his mother, um, and she read it at the trial. So, Rosie, will you read that? Mm -hmm. Seven-year-old Badger said, I think he shouldn't ever be out of jail. He shouldn't have done this. Why did he do such a bad thing to me? I'm very mad at him. Why can't he say he's sorry? So, not only did Brian put his son through all of this, and ruin his son's health for life, but he refused to take any responsibility or even apologize during the trial. How could you not apologize to your son that you've done that to him? I just, oh my gosh, this guy. Probably because he's he's just terrible in the first place, and then he's probably mad at Jennifer and Badger for actually, you know, prosecuting him this much later 
mm-hmm. and you know busting him on what he did. Yes, because he probably thought he got away with it by 1998 when he was arrested. That was seven years later. Yeah. That's how long we've been married. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hmm. well, Badger's older sister also wrote a statement for Jennifer to read. She said, "Some kids at school found out and said." I don't want to be friends with you because your brother is this or your brother is that. One of my friends down the road, her mom said I couldn't play with her. Apparently, the kids in her school made fun of her brother a lot, but she worried about him. When his symptoms got bad and he went to the hospital, she worried and wondered if she'd ever see him again. She said, I love my brother and I'm sorry this happened to him. So she was another person affected by the actions of Brian Stewart. And these kids were being terrible to her because, you know, that's what kids do. But I can't believe this mother who wouldn't let her kid play with Badger's sister because of it. That's so sad. Yeah. When Jennifer read these statements, she was fighting back tears. She said she felt guilty because she and her kids lived in poverty. But if she was ever to make more money... They wouldn't qualify for the financial aid that pays for Badger's expensive medications. So she was forced into this really tough spot where she had to choose between giving her kids more financial stability or keeping her son alive. Which, when it comes down to it, you know, her choice makes a lot of sense. But it's sad that she needs to make this decision because it's the way our medical system works in the United States. And... There's a lot of people out there trapped in this same spot, you know? Mm-hmm. If they make too much money, they won't qualify for whatever financial aid they depend on just to survive. That's, that's terrible. Jennifer told the courtroom, I feel guilt, fear, shame, and perpetual defeat because I am unable to give my family the joy they desire. It really had a rough impact on Jennifer. She would often break down into tears, and her younger three-year-old daughter would try to comfort her, saying, Don't cry, Mommy. She told the courtroom that her children were the ones who had been given a life sentence to prison, with the walls filled with tears, torment, and isolation. It's so sad that Jennifer felt so guilty herself and felt, you know, so much responsibility for not being able to give her kids the life she wanted to give them. I mean, this was a family full of sweethearts that were dealt a terrible hand and just trying to make the best of it and support each other. It had to be such a struggle for Jennifer just to get by and care for her family, but she did her best as a mom. And you can tell by the way her two daughters tried to support her and Badger through all this, you know. She was obviously still a good mom. Badger was on 15 medications at this time, and he had to take them all day. Some of them were fed into him through a tube in his stomach. His life was really far from ideal, but like we mentioned earlier, he'd blown past the doctor's original expectations of five months to live. Um, so that's a positive thing, but it wasn't just his health making life difficult for him. Badger had partial hearing loss from his health issues and all the medications that he was juggling. 
It affected his ability to receive an education. His school was scared to have him because at the time, people still believed that you could contract AIDS through a toilet seat or even eye contact. What? They didn't want him around because they feared it would spread to other students. Eye contact as in looking at someone. I don't understand that. Not like rubbing your eyeballs on each other, but like actually just looking at someone (laughs) people believed could transfer AIDS. But I guess it's understandable because this was back in the 90s, and we've learned so much more about AIDS since then, but it still must have been absolutely devastating to Badger and his family because it's something they couldn't control. It wasn't their fault. And, you know, the kids teased him and treated him like a pariah. It's Mm -hmm. just so unfair to this family. Badger was never invited to parties with other kids because the parents feared the same thing. And when he was finally allowed to go to school, his classmates mocked him and called him names like AIDS boy or gay boy. But despite all this opposition on top of his failing health, he continued to fight his disease and stay alive. But when Badger was 10 years old, he really began to become furious with his dad and the way he selfishly changed Badger's life forever. Badger realized that his father was responsible for all of the bullying and the years that he'd spent in the hospital. Yeah, and another thing is that Brian had to be conscientious about his health because his immune system was so fragile. So he couldn't live like a normal kid in any way, you know, eating Little Debbie's and, and junk food like a normal kid because he had to stay so on top of his health all because of what his father did to him. So we mentioned earlier that he was named after Brian Stewart, his father, but after this realization at 10 years old, he decided to add an extra R to his name um, and change the I to a Y. So that made the spelling B-R-R-Y-A-N. And then he also took his mother's last name, Jackson, So Badger, or Brian, far outlived the expectations of the doctors. When he was 13 years old, he started sharing his story and experience to help others dealing with the health issues and depression caused by it. In 2016, he did an interview with headsupguy.org about his struggles with depression. Yeah, and I thought it might be interesting and helpful if we went through his answers to their questions. To understand how he personally deals with such a terrible situation and the depressing depression that ensues, because uh, you know we we can all use pointers from people who have experienced things like this. So, Rosie, if you'll ask the questions, I'll read the answers he wrote. Okay, if that sounds good. Again, this is from HeadsUpGuys.org, and the direct quotes from Brian Badger Jackson. They asked him. What was the major turning point in your recovery from depression? So he says, Growing up, most people were uneducated about HIV and AIDS. I was constantly bullied in school. I wasn't included in common kids' activities like birthday parties and sports. I had a difficult time fitting in. Being an outsider and being repeatedly told I was going to end up a statistic, I had to switch the script and change my own self-talk. Just um, side note, Dr. Phil talks about this a lot. 
mm-hmm. what your inner dialogue is, mm-hmm. you know, because that's kind of what shapes you. Mm-hmm. So Brian continues, I firmly believe in having hope and that we can create our own story rather than letting others determine it. That's something you talk about too, you know, Rosie? I love that. Like, and a lot of survivors of abuse and stuff like that, that, you know, have turned a new leaf would agree with this, you know, determine your own fate. So Brian continues, this shift in perspective was really what got me through my most troubling times. What are some things that really helped? So he answers, I realized I didn't want to be an angry kid anymore, and I wanted to make a difference in my life and in others, which he's doing right now. Yeah, being on this interview. Yeah. He says, these are a few things that really helped. Being hopeful is vital. Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not fail. I found out that in life we come into this world being carried to taking baby steps to one step at a time, and then we learn to run and take leaps of faith. But what guarantees we can make those leaps, or if we fall short, that we can get back up? That is hope, and hope is vital. The next thing is asking the right questions and shifting the perspective. At 13, I realized that when bad things happened to me, I always asked, why is this happening to me? After doing deep searching, I realized I was asking the wrong question. The question I need to ask is, why not me? The grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. It is greener where you water it. Oh, I like that. Wow. That's a good quote to remember. Mm-hmm. And again, this is coming from the person who we talked about whose father injected him with AIDS. The next step is forgiving and not letting or sorry, forgiving and letting go of the past. He says at 16 I chose forgiveness. I needed to let go of the past to pursue today. I dropped off my baggage at God's feet and said, I forgive those who have hurt me. I even forgave my father. Wow. My health did a 180 when I made that decision. Flash forward to now, I'm a happy, healthy 25-year-old man, again, this is from 2016, who is no longer battling HIV because it's undetectable. Wow. Hmm. My viral load is so low, giving me a hope to have kids someday because I can't pass on the virus. That's great to... That's amazing. Yeah. We can't change the past, but we can choose the outcome of the future. So, I mean, we talk about forgiveness a lot. Mm-hmm. And it obviously doesn't mean you need to go to that person and say, I forgive you, and then forget everything that happened and be cool with them. Right. It's about... You know, letting go of the pain that they caused you and moving on, right. essentially. Kind of like putting a lid on the situation and all those crummy emotions and just pushing it under the bed, letting it go. Yeah, and you do it for you and not for that person. Exactly. They don't need to know. You. They never need to know because mm-hmm. it's about you, not them. So... There's a few more things he says. He says, trusting you have everything you need to overcome. 
I truly believe that we are not called to be extraordinary. I believe that we are all ordinary people who are called to do extraordinary things. We were given all the tools we need to live the life we were given, hope, faith, courage, and boldness, but we forget to utilize them. So more on, you know, perspective Mm -hmm. and having the right attitude and realizing, you know, we all have the tools to overcome difficulties as long as we don't give up. And the last thing he says is starting the conversation. He says, it is important, whatever you go through in life, to start a conversation that is pure and organic about whatever struggle you're going through. Because if you wait around until, or if you wait around, the conversation may never happen. The best way to lead these conversations is to simply listen. Very good advice. Mm-hmm. The next question is, what advice would you give to other guys fighting depression? It says, talk about your feelings and struggles. That's pretty simple. It does no good to deal with anything alone. Alone is a lie. There is a true strength and self-value to admitting struggles in life. People love to wear masks and pretend rather than be honest and find solutions. Know that you matter and that hope is what reminds us that everything is going to be okay. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really nice. That's what Brian has to say about his experiences. He has a lot of good advice for people who are searching for helpful answers. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, if you have depression and you need to be told that Hope reminds us that everything is going to be okay. I mean, that the way he says it is just so mm-hmm. helpful. And he's speaking from a point, of, a place of experience mm-hmm. and qualification because he went through so much, and this is what worked for him. Um, so I really appreciate his experience and advice here, and hopefully our listeners will as well. Mm-hmm. So I looked him up on Instagram. Yeah. And like I said earlier, he's still alive and active. Uh, another interesting thing that's on his page is that he's pretty into keto. Is he really? Well, that is supposed to be like super good in all ways. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was wondering if it's a therapeutic thing because of, you know, his health conditions that he's dealing with. But it's pretty cool to me because although I'm very inconsistent, I'm a huge fan of keto and strive to at least be carb conscious and low carb as much as I can because that's what works for me personally makes me feel better mm-hmm. but it really seems like brian badger jackson is thriving now he's like he's ripped i, oh, I yeah? just looked him up on instagram like he looks so good he doesn't look frail at all like mm-hmm. he looks like so healthy yeah like kind of macho yeah so if you're curious go check him out at brianjackson.com or at brian jackson on instagram again that's b-r-r-y-a-n jackson um J-A-C-K-S-O-N in case you're curious so Hmm. yeah that's it for Brian's slash Badger's story I I guess he's at peace with the name Brian now but it would be weird being named after the person that did this to you yeah I mean he probably him changing the way it's spelled and taking his mom's last name like probably that was enough for him true yeah 
So thank you again, Katerin, for this suggestion. And if we're saying your name wrong, I'm sorry. Please let us know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's wow. That's inspiring. Yeah, I love when we can look at someone now and see how far they've come. It's like a happy ending. Yeah, because it gives you hope for you know dealing with our own struggles. Like there, yeah. We can get through anything life throws at us as long as we don't give up and really try to have a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone is in different stages, you know, and it's totally understandable if you're nowhere near where you can have a positive attitude yet. Because, I mean, Rosie, you've been there. Right. You've been in that stage, and it's hard to see past it, and you got to be ready to do it. Yeah, I don't think anybody should be like, oh, they forgave their abuser? I need to forgive mine. Like, don't ever feel pressured. It's definitely different for everyone. It's a Mm -hmm. personal experience, and you got to do what's right for you at the time. Right. So, lots of good advice, lots of good stories. Feel good. Yeah. Nice to be ending on a happy note. I know. It's it's a difference nowadays. We've been talking about a lot of terrible stuff but thank you brian jackson for being so awesome (laughs) all right well do we have anything else to talk about before we wrap it up um not on our main feed anyway that's right we're about to go record our patreon episode of venting over wine (laughs) and the title is tbd but it's going to be something about facebook marketplace fiascos and maybe we'll just call it penelope yeah that is the name of my old jeep (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah thank you guys for listening if you are on instagram go follow us at vov podcast and if you want to talk to us Email us at vovpodcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook group, Voice of the Victim Support System. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Do we have any cat news this week? No, not really. They're bums right now, just hanging out. Yeah. Yesterday, Burrito found a new little perch above our bed. Oh, yeah. Which was pretty funny. Because he like, stares at us while we sleep. Yeah, we have a ledge above our headboard. <laughs> And we used to have a bunch of candles there, but now... They're still there. They yeah, just moved. Rosie made a, a separation in the middle, so because I kept knocking candles off the ledge in the middle of the night when I moved my pillows. But anyway, <laughs> Burrito perched up there with his little legs poking out the sides and just stared at us while we slept, and mm-hmm. it was a little creepy. They love grandmas house upstairs yeah oh yeah zucchini's always ready to go to grandma's there's cat news your grandma was like can the grandcats come up (laughs) and they went upstairs and ate her palm plant too (laughs) yeah does anyone else have problems with their cats eating their plants i think that's pretty standard for cats but it's cute i suppose they long to be in the wild it's cute having grandma call them the kids <laughs> <laughs> the grandcats yeah. cool well I think that's sufficient cat news mm-hmm. alright well thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you next week bye bye